1: Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Google Cureleaf PA or stop by one of our 18 locations across the Commonwealth.
0: This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for
1: all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue-White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and Johnny McGonagall.
0: Penn State football fans, welcome in to another edition of the Blue-White Breakdown. I'm Bob Flounders, Johnny McGonagall Joining me, you know you're starting to turn the corner, Johnny, when they start to release, uh, uh, you know, starting times for Penn State's 2023 schedule. Uh, Not that it's a slow week by any means, but for Penn State football, but I do think the pan, the uh, the fan base is starting to get excited. There's two kick times have been announced. I believe it's just two. Both of them primetime games. Penn State's opener with uh, West Virginia is going to be a night game 730 at Beaver Stadium on September 2nd. Uh, the more interesting news, and I kind of, we've been talking about this, the whiteout game. What could it possibly be? What were the best scenarios? To me, when I looked at the schedule, I thought I thought that the decision that they made earlier in this week probably made a lot of sense. So the, the whiteout game, which was announced on Monday, is gonna be September 23rd against those darn Iowa Hawkeyes, an 8 p.m. kick. And it's noteworthy, I think, a little bit, Johnny. The game's gonna be on CBS, a product of the new, you know, TV negotiations. And and a lot of people probably don't know this, but It's not the same old TV schedule when it comes to college football. There's been some new contracts handed out. CBS is going to be a prominent player. NBC is involved, but yeah, Johnny, just your thoughts. Was it a big surprise to you when you found out the Iowa game, September 23rd, was going to be at Beaver Stadium? Was going to be
1: the uh, the whiteout game at eight o'clock? No, Bob, it didn't surprise me. Uh, We touched on this briefly last week, I think, when we were talking about that West Virginia game, the season opener. Uh, being a primetime kick on NBC, and I, I thought that the whiteout would be the West Virginia game or the Iowa game. Uh, just looking at the rest of the home slate, the big game is the Michigan game, but you kind of have to assume that that's going to be big noon kickoff on Fox. Uh, and so, if you're be, you know, if you're uh, if you're Penn State, if you're James Franklin, if you're the the Nittany Lions, the the ad, the admins that want the best environment possible for a whiteout, it's always been a night game. Uh, And James Franklin, even talked about that last year about how, you know, the everyone wearing white, how it reflects in the night, like just everything about the atmosphere just screams night game. And so I didn't think they would do the Michigan game for that reason. And I know some fans are a little bit upset about how, hey, you know, Fox just put it at night so we can have the biggest game. (laughs) Uh, You know, and that's just that's just not how it works, uh, especially now uh, with Fox, NBC and CBS. So. Interested to see, though, kind of how uh, the rest of the college football schedule shakes out the weekend of the whiteout, because it's fully expected at this point that uh, Notre Dame and Ohio State play on September 23rd. And that's looking like it could be a primetime NBC game. So uh, Ohio State, Notre Dame, you know, going up against Penn State, Iowa in that primetime slot. Uh, we'll see in terms of the viewership, how how that all shakes out. But Makes sense. Uh, I thought it was Iowa or West Virginia. And so um, two primetime games now for both of those and uh, should be two very interesting games at that.
0: Yeah. And just, you know, when you when you look at Penn State's schedule and you look at its 12 games, you you break down the first half of the schedule, first six games, West Virginia, you know, Penn State fans, especially older Penn State fans, Johnny, I know all about West Virginia used to be a really big rivalry with Penn State decades ago. Not nearly the case. Not your same West Virginia Mountaineers, you know. Pat White, Steve Slayton, Rich Rodriguez—they're not walking. They're not. They're not going to be in this game. West Virginia, uh, I think they were five and seven last year. They gave up a, a just a, uh, a ton of points. You know, that's a game where really you don't really look at that as maybe a big threat to Penn State. Then they get Delaware at home on the ninth. The sixteenth is going to be interesting. They're going to have to go to Champaign, Illinois, to play. Brett Bielema's team, uh, you know, Brett Bielema's team knocked them off two years ago. In one of the bigger upsets in college football that year. Then comes Iowa right after that game, and then they got to go to Northwestern on the 30th, and they close out the first half of their of their regular season schedule. After a bye week, they get UMass. So really, when you look at the first, the second half of the schedule's got you know, you know, they got to go to Ohio State and host Michigan. Uh, they got Michigan State on the schedule. But when you look at the first half of the regular season schedule, the two games that jump out to me the most are obviously the road date at Illinois, because I think Brett showed that you better not sleep on the Illini. He's done a very good job of turning that program around in a very short time. I'm sure they're going to have something for Penn State. I'm sure that's going to be a rugged game. And then to play Iowa the next week. I was a little bit challenged on offense and I don't know if that's going to be any different this year. But those two games are really I think a big key to a quick start in 2023 in the first half of the season and maybe going undefeated going into the second half.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, that little that little gauntlet. I don't even want to call it a gauntlet, but that little stretch of Illinois, Iowa, um I do think that they'll come out and they'll take care of business against West Virginia in the season opener. Uh, I saw somewhere that there are 17-point favorites or something. I mean, I, West Virginia is not going to be great uh, this year. Delaware is Delaware. Uh, thanks for coming out. You know, before that Iowa game, you know, uh, again, you mentioned Brett Bielema and what he's been able to do there at Illinois. They lose a lot of key pieces do. Um, to that defense and offense, but... Uh, you know if penn state can avoid some champagne problems in uh, in illinois that's a taylor swift joke by the way uh uh-huh.
0: i was well i'm going to ask you about taylor a little bit later in this don't you worry about it you're not getting
1: out of here giving me your review of that concert but go ahead but look yeah as long as they avoid issues in in champagne and and they're you know undefeated going into that iowa game uh, maybe exact a little bit of revenge from the 2021 matchup i expect this team to be 6 and 0 to start the season going into that ohio state game it might be it would it would take like a major injury or you know, a major slip up uh, somewhere on this schedule. Maybe they come out and sleepwalk through an 11 a.m. local kick at Northwestern. If that ends up being the case, it feels like it always is. We'll see. But uh, obviously, you know, in terms of the the front end of this schedule, the front half, the Iowa game was the biggest game. You know, you could argue with that in West Virginia. So uh, makes sense that it's a whiteout and everyone's gonna be juiced up for it. Uh, and uh yeah as you get later into the schedule you don't need to you don't need to get people riled up or juiced up for michigan that that comes naturally uh even at noon so not surprised to see that that's not the way out yeah
0: speaking of riled up uh this game this iowa game johnny because of the way it played out 2 years ago i was at the game you know the penn State's fan base has long memories they really do as as do most you know huge fan bases and that the iowa game in 2021 was really the trigger point for Penn State's you know, rapid decline in that year. They started the year undefeated. I think they were 5-0. and Opened the season with a win at Wisconsin, which is never easy to do. Uh, their defense was pretty good throughout that year. It was really good in the Iowa game. They lost that game 23-20. They led 17-3 at one point out uh, at Kinnick Stadium. Uh, but a couple things just to point out, and I, I, the Penn, a lot of the Penn State fans, it's not anything they don't already know. Sean Clifford got hurt in that game in the first half. He had made some mistakes early, but he also, they were producing points, and they were kind of rolling on that Iowa uh, Iowa defense. It was 17-3. He went out of the game, and uh, they replaced him with Taquan Roberson, and he just was not really ready for that environment. It was also kind of the beginning of the end for Taquan Roberson as a Penn State quarterback, you know, they would lose. I think they, they came off a bye. They would lose the next week to Illinois. Uh, what was 5-0 and became 7-6. and um, But I think James, after that game, he kind of looked at developing the quarterback room a little bit differently. He kind of acknowledged that, you know, Christian who who is the number three, you know, the more they looked at him after Sean got hurt, the more it became apparent that he was actually the second best quarterback, I think, on in the depth chart. He played a little bit. He beat he beat Rutgers when when when, when Sean Clifford got sick in the flu day. But I think he after after what happened at Iowa, I think, I think James decided, hey, we gotta have a number two ready to go. We have to, we have to know who the number two is, and he's gotta be ready to be competitive in games. And I think you saw that play out uh last year with him giving the five-star Drew Aller um, you know, a lot of early playing time. But the, the other thing I would say, Johnny, is that that was a nasty, nasty game in Iowa. Hot day. Penn State was in, was in control early. It was a warm day. Penn State had some defensive players go down during the course of that game. And Penn, and they, they were getting booed by the Iowa crowd. I think Kirk Ferentz piled on after the game saying it was a little bit fishy to see them stay, stay down. The irony, Johnny, is that Iowa's offense wasn't even explosive that year, but they were trying to run a tempo offense And and they and then I guess he tried to intimate that they were trying to slow down this uh, Iowa juggernaut. My point is the the Penn State fan base. I don't think will forget their players getting booed on the field, and also not that there's a lot of Penn State players that played prominent snaps in that game. Curtis Jacobs, I think, was a starter in that game. They're not going to talk about it, but I guarantee you, the coaching staff and Penn State's players are aware of how they were treated out at Iowa, and that'll add fuel fuel to the fire. I think the Penn State fan base. Is really gonna be excited to see
1: if Penn State can kind of step on these guys' throats. Yeah, it's interesting. What after that game, you know, it was a top five matchup. Penn State and, and Iowa were, you know, they were three and four. And really after that game, though, neither team did much of consequence. I mean, Penn State ended up going seven and six, and um, the injury to Clifford played into that and, and how that season kind of unraveled. Uh, and then Iowa, yeah, they won ten games, but they ended up getting blown out by Michigan in the Big Ten title game. And it's like Forty-two to three. Uh, so, how much of a great team was that, really? And uh, what really everyone remembers is what, what you mentioned—the booing—and the, and it really started. It was like this national story for a week after. I, I mean, I remember just asking because I was covering Pitt at the at the time for the Post Gazette, and asking Pat Narduzzi about just a player that you know Pitt had injured from the week before, and he was like, "Oh no, like he he's fine. He'll be he'll, you know he has cramp. He had cramps. He's good." A uh, lot of talk about cramps and faking injuries this week, and he started defending James Franklin just out of the blue. Uh, now I think there is some history there between him and uh, him and Ferentz when he was at uh, Michigan State. But nonetheless, this was a talking point throughout the entire country, and yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, you know how it's brought up before the game. Uh, yeah, obviously, both both coaches, you know, Ferentz and Franklin, will be asked about it. They'll be asked about it more than once uh, for sure. Yeah, there there are definitely some players on this Penn State roster that will remember that game. I mean, this is going to be a juiced environment. I'm expecting Iowa to get booed running out of the locker room uh, pretty heavily. I mean, the the away team is always booed, but uh, more than usual. Yeah, it was just a weird scenario when fans are booing and Ferentz said, oh, they smelled a rat. Like, who says that? Yeah, yeah. what What a bizarre, what a bizarre statement.
0: He hasn't had a good run in recent years, Kirk, on the national scene for a lot of reasons. You know, there's been a lot of stuff written about the Iowa program and some and, and some, some of the ways he's handled that program. Johnny, I, I have to say this. It's, it's usually pretty warm in September, even in State College. I, I'm totally serious when I say this. I really hope an Iowa player does not go down with cramps early in this game because they're going to get it, and it's not going to be really fair To the players, but at the very first sign of anything like that, you know, there's going to be 109,000 people that are going to get really, really unhappy. Um, But yeah, it's 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 only been two years. It's going to be fresh in everyone's minds. It was a game that really helped shape Penn State's 2021 season uh, in the wrong way. And I I don't understand what Kirk Ferentz was thinking to say something like that. And he did do it. Your reference, you know. That's not the first time he's done that. I think Iowa played Michigan State uh, almost ten years earlier, and I think Narduzzi was the DC, and there was some there were some talk. That's just it. Just what is to be gained by that? I don't. I don't understand that guy. I really don't. I think you know he's he's been he's one of the you know longest tenured coaches in college football, but it just seems like the longer he stays, the the, the more everything around him is kind of a little almost in the negative. I I don't know what to make of this guy. I mean, he's got his son as like the OC. There's some nepotism involved there. So he's got enough issues within that program to worry about than maybe going out of his way to incorrectly bash uh, another program. So, yeah, it's going to be, you know, the game might not be wildly entertaining, but um, it's a game I think Penn State can really, really, this is going to be a game they're going to be very motivated to
1: play. Yeah, you mentioned Ferentz's son Brian Ferentz being the offensive coordinator. I mean, talk about a joke of a coordinator. Uh, They averaged what seventeen points per game last year, uh, ranked I think one hundred twenty third out of one hundred thirty FBS teams. Uh, Somehow not last in the uh, in the in the Big Ten, nonetheless, uh, not very good. Uh, And that prompted uh, that actually prompted Iowa's athletic director because he was getting pressured. So much by the fan base and the donors to do something about this, because clearly Kirk Ferentz isn't going to fire his own son, uh, and that basically they have a contract stipulation now that Iowa has to average 25 points per game this year uh, <laughs> and win and win seven games, and if they don't do that, then Ferentz is out as the offensive coordinator. Now, defensive and special teams touchdowns count towards this this average. So, like, he could still suck as an offensive coordinator and keep his job. Uh, So, but you know what, though? There is actually, like, a slight reason or two for optimism around this Iowa offense. Uh, Cade McNamara, quarterback from Michigan, who was, you know, quarterback them to the 2021 uh, Big Ten title game and and title win. He's their quarterback now. He transferred over to Iowa uh, in the offseason. They've got a transfer wide receiver coming in from Ohio State. They've got a tight end. You know, stop me if you heard this before, Bob. But Iowa has a tight end that they're excited about, uh, Luke Lachey or Lashley. I don't know how you want to pronounce his last name, but he's good. So, yeah, they've they've got some pieces on offense. Who knows if Brian Ferentz can do anything with them? But uh, you know they're going to have a you know they're going to have a tough defense. Uh, you know they're good special teams and uh, they're typically a tough out. So, you know, it should be should be a good game. And really, you look at the schedule. Uh, in terms of defenses, and like I said, that the, the Iowa defense, they lose some pieces in Riley Moss and Jack Campbell, but you expect them to have a nastiness about them. Maybe Illinois would would, would pose a, a difficult test, too, but uh, those two games should be early tests for Drew Aller uh, and Penn State offense.
0: Yeah, Van Ness, I think, what it was a first-round pick, although... It kind of flashed late in the year. But yeah, I really, I mean, Jack Campbell was the guy I believe that knocked out Sean Clifford in that game two years ago with a, a nasty hit on a blitz. But, you know, he's now a Detroit Lion. But the thing about watching Iowa as somebody who only gets to see him like every other year is I really get a kick out of watching the way they play on defense because you got to earn it against that defense. They don't make any mistakes. Their secondary is as opportunistic as it comes. They just seem to have they have a knack for developing whether it's a three star or a low four star by the time they leave Iowa, especially on the defensive side. These guys are almost they're all really NFL caliber players. I've always enjoyed watching the Iowa defense find different ways to really slow down talented offenses. They're going to make you go eighty yards. They're not going to make a lot of stupid mistakes if you throw if they get you in third and long chances are if you put the ball up for grabs they're going to come down with it. Also they're they're really good at developing offensive linemen, but the Bugaboo has been really, you know, the quarterback play and we'll see how it works out. But I just think that Penn State's defense with what they have coming back, it's it's a good matchup for Penn State's defense and I do think what happened 2 years ago does is going to matter a little bit in this game and and no matter what James Franklin says he remembers the way his program was, was treated uh in that game and what was said about his program by the coaching staff. And the defensive coaches are gonna remember that as well. Cause it was a lot of defensive players, I think, were the players that went down in question. And Jaquan Brisker was a guy who had I think I, I think he had a shoulder injury. He was legit injured early uh for most of that season, played in pain. And when he went when a guy like Jaquan Brisker goes down, Johnny, it's because he's really hurt. This is the Blue White Breakdown.
1: Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Everyone's journey is different, and we are honored to guide you to the best relationship with this incredible plant. Have questions? Google Cureleaf PA or stop by one of our 18 locations across the Commonwealth.
0: Johnny, we were we're kind of closing up our, our thoughts here on the on the Whiteout game in Iowa, and just if you're a Penn State fan and you remember what happened two years ago, this is this this game got a lot more exciting, right? If this game was going to be played at noon on ESPN or wherever it was, you'd be excited for the game. But I think the fact that it's Iowa prime time, uh, I, I do think, and this is definitely right. This is definitely a winnable game for Penn State. So I I do think. It's it's a shame it's not going to be Michigan for the whiteout game, but you got to play the hand you're dealt, and I think when you look at their
1: schedule, I think the Iowa game made a lot of sense. Yeah, and this is teed up like you kind of like you alluded to. This is just teed up for a big Penn State defensive performance. Uh, you know, Manny Diaz wasn't the defensive coordinator when they were out at Iowa two years ago, but a lot of these players on the defense, like you mentioned, Curtis Jacobs, older players will remember that game and the fallout from that game and just how that loss affected uh, their season on the whole. And like we mentioned earlier, Clifford getting hurt there really just kind of screwed things up, screwed up a rhythm because they were up 17-3 in that game. And who knows what they would have done from that point forward if they had won that game and, and all that. But man, with a whiteout crowd and uh, an offense that, like I mentioned, has some better pieces this year, Still early in the season in September, probably gelling together. I expect players like Deny Dennis Sutton and Chop Robinson, and you know Disa Isaac, Abdul Carter, for those players to just tee off. It really is just kind of served up on a platter for those guys. Uh, I really think the the entire front end of the schedule is served up that way because I don't think West Virginia is going to have much offensively uh, that'll that'll worry you. Delaware is Delaware. Uh, Illinois, kind of similar. I mean, the fact that Iowa might be the best offense in the first four games of the season is telling you something. Uh, Northwestern was one and 11 last year. And then UMass. like this defense could really get on a roll going into that Ohio state game, um, at, at the, you know, at the shoe on October 21st. And, you know, at that point, who knows? So this, I think this team should be six and oh, after the start of the season, again, barring injuries, you know, we're talking about this in may. Yeah. The the Iowa game is going to be a big one. And, uh, Fans will definitely be revved up for. That's that's for sure.
0: Yeah. Little housekeeping here at Penn Live, the blue-white breakdown. But just, just a reminder, uh, we had talked last week, Johnny, about your conversation with Michael Mowdy, who is uh, who is very, very big into Penn State's football NIL push. Michael Mowdy, one of the great linebackers to play at Penn State in the last 25 years. He's now uh, an assistant coach uh, at Trinity High School. In the Harrisburg area, the head coach is another, is his teammate, Jordan Hill. But yeah, Michael Mowdy and Jordan Hill are coaching at Trinity, but he's also a big part of, uh, of Penn State's NIL push. You had a chance to talk to him uh, recently about a story about the NIL efforts. But as in addition, Michael Mowdy is also going to be kind of the featured speaker at uh, Penn Lies High School Sports Awards Banquet, which is coming up May 25th. So only a couple weeks away. Uh, it's going to be at the Penn Harris Hotel Convention Center in Camp Hill, uh, kind of a suburb of uh, in Harrisburg, five to seven p.m., May twenty-fifth, Penn Harris Hotel Convention Center. Michael's going to be a speaker, and I was also said if you want to, I could also say the uh, the banquet is being sponsored by Renewal by Anderson of Central PA and UPM. Hey, before we wrap, we wrap up this edition of the Blue White Breakdown. I don't know if there's a lot going on on the recruiting trail. If there is, you can give us an update. But if there's no, if there is no update, I'm going to have to ask you about two things. Game seven for the Sixers. But on a, on a more positive note, just I just wanted to get your note, your thoughts just on I know you got a chance to go to one of the Taylor Swift shows in the Philadelphia area. And I'm sure it was a huge success. But if there's no recruiting news. Let's get into like how, how your weekend went good and bad. <laughs>
1: Yeah, just one small piece of recruiting news. Um, Michael Van Buren, he's a 2024 quarterback, four-star, uh, key target for Penn State. It looked like Penn State was going to be the favorite early on. That has since switched to Oregon. He's making his announcement this weekend. I believe it's Saturday on where he'll, he'll be going to college. So just something to keep an eye on uh, if, you're, if you're a Penn State fan. Like I said, all, all signs right now are pointing to Oregon. Um, but Penn state would love to have them, uh, in the 2024 recruiting class, which is ranked, uh, sixth nationally, uh, but does not have a quarterback yet. So just keep an eye on that. Uh, the Sixers, it was, it was just embarrassing, uh, to be honest with you. And, and look, after game six, uh, I was talking to my friends, talking to, you know, family and they, they had an opportunity winning game six at home. They were up two with four minutes left. They had a couple possessions there where they could have gone up four or five. They didn't take it. Tatum did his thing late. And uh, when they lost game six, I knew they were going to lose game seven. I was not confident whatsoever. Uh, I didn't think they'd get smoked that bad. I didn't think they'd put up 10 points in the third quarter. Uh, but you know what? It's tough because the the difference in mental toughness between those two teams were on full display. Uh, a team in the Celtics that made the finals and and has that experience. And as much as I love Joel Embiid, he just hasn't done it in the playoffs uh, James Harden has never done it in the playoffs really, you know, on a consistent basis uh, and it's just frustrating so we'll see where they go whether James Harden comes back uh, yeah I was standing in, I was watching that game in Xfinity live uh, down in, in South Philly while a Taylor Swift cover band was playing in the background and for like 30 minutes I was just like I was miserable I was just down bad uh, but then I switched uh, I was just like you know what I'm going to see Taylor Swift tonight we're gonna we're gonna switch flip the switch and uh, Bob, she was incredible. Uh, I'll say that. So that was my second time seeing her. Uh sorry the last time she came to Philly, really. and uh, yeah, she was very good. It was a nonstop three-hour performance, which you don't you don't normally see that these days with uh, you know performers just playing for three hours straight. It was it was uh, it was very good. It was awesome.
0: Yeah, we didn't see it. We didn't see it in Boston, right? They couldn't even play nonstop for two hours. I'm talking yeah, exactly. about <laughs> I, the one thing I was just saying. Like I, I'm not. So I, I, don't, I don't watch the Sixers. I did watch Game 7, and I, I know I think at halftime they had a slight lead. The only thing – it was stunning to see the energy level of Tatum throughout that game during his 50-point performance. He never he – was, he was constant motion in that game. The guy didn't – he seemed like he got stronger as the game went on, and it, it just looked to me like Embiid. I don't know if he was – he had nothing left in the tank. You know, he was just playing the game on the perimeter. He couldn't move. And uh, you know you, you're right. Mental toughness went a long way uh, towards determining that game. They wanted it more. It's it's unfortunate to go to a game seven and against an opponent like that. And just the last the last two quarters of the game, you know, it just didn't look like they were very interested in being out there. But you know what, uh, the Celtics are a good team. Congratulations. At least you got out of it with with C and Taylor. And uh, hopefully uh, that'll be. I don't know if she she tours every year, but every other year, whatever it is, I'm sure you're always going to try and get a chance to see her, Johnny. So look, we're almost in June and uh, you don't have to worry about the Sixers. You can just focus on those Phillies and a fired up Bryce Harper, who showed a little bit more energy in a loss
1: at Colorado over the weekend than the the Sixers did in Game 7. Well, that's what I texted my buddies. I'm like, Bryce Harper, uh, the only Philly athlete with any heart on Sunday. I know you got to get out of here. Uh, guys, we'll be we'll be back on the blue white breakdown a little bit later
0: in the week. But Johnny, Penn State, Iowa, uh, blue white uh the blue white breakdown. It's gonna be the whiteout game September 23rd. Two night games real early in the season for Penn State. I think the word's out about this team. I think they're a primetime team. I mean, they might that might not be the end of the, the night games for Penn State, but this is a team I think that. A lot of people are starting to figure out that hey, this is gonna be if it's year 10 for James Franklin, this is his best year, really. The 2016 season was great, but I don't want to say they snuck up on the Big Ten, but after they got waxed early in Michigan, they kind of they kind of did a little bit. They're not sneaking up on anybody this year, but they might have the talent to just back it up. This has been the Blue White Breakdown brought to you by Penn Live.